God is good. And all the time. Indeed. We were going to, as Lorraine mentioned, hear a mission report today. We're going to save that for next Sunday. Um, But today we're going to go ahead and begin our sermon series in preparation for Easter. Lent began a few weeks ago, and we are now deep into this season of preparation and journey. And our theme for this series is, we have a story to tell to the nations. And this is built or borrowed from the title of an old hymn. We have a story to tell to the nations that will turn their hearts to the right. And certainly at Multi-Nation Church, we are blessed to have the nations come to us. And we certainly have a story to tell of the, the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. And we're going to look at a few key lessons from Jesus leading up to Easter, but we'll also learn and hear stories of how Jesus is working through his people, through you, through the church, through us. So there'll be a Sunday of testimony uh, about how God is working. And then, of course, next Sunday, we will hear how two of our partners were the hands and feet of Jesus on mission. Before we dig into this word today, would you join me in prayer? Lord, it is a season of wandering and wondering. We find ourselves wandering through the wilderness of this world, faced with many questions and doubts, faced with obstacles and challenges, faced with wonders about new directions in our life or what your will or purpose is, We are thinking more now than we do year-round. What does the Lord have for me? What would the Lord have me to do? We are wondering in this way, Lord, what is your will for our lives? How can we draw closer to you and have a more fulfilling life with you and in you? And so, Lord, we pray that these words from the Gospel of Mark, would draw our hearts to a conclusion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we find Jesus in our sermon scripture for today, we find him about to begin something that would change the world. He is about to come to a a conclusion of beginning. He's about to make a change in his life that will alter his life forever. Not just for the rest of his living life, but for eternity. Even more importantly, we find that Jesus' decision that he is about to make will change your life. It will change history forever. We jump right into the end of our scripture reading in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. You'll find it On the screen behind me, Mark 1, beginning in verse 14. I also encourage you to look it up in your own Bible or on your smart device if you have one with you and read along with me. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe 
the good news. In some ways, his message was repent and, and believe. That's how he concluded that Mark passage. But it also is, it starts with this sense of, of time that is pregnant with opportunity, full of meaning. It, it is the ready time. It is the right time. For Jesus says the time is fulfilled. It is full of opportunity. The kingdom of God has come near. So this moment of decision that Jesus is proclaiming, it it, it is the, the ultimate change in history. It is the pivotal moment in human history where Jesus embraces his purpose, his reason, his incarnation is now being fulfilled. And in many ways, you might even wonder or ask the question, what does this then have to do with me? And of course, it has everything to do with our salvation. It has everything to do with preparing us for an understanding of new life, resurrection. But I think also we can connect with this moment in Jesus' life in a very personal way as well. How many of you would long to have that sense of clarity of purpose in your life? How often do you sit at night when you're laying in the dark with your head on the pillow and you wonder, what am I doing with my life? Where is it going? What, what is my reason? How often do you find yourself facing a moment of crisis in your life where you could choose to follow this path or that path and you're just not clear which way do I go? To the right or to the left? Do you ever find yourself just wishing that you had an answer to your question? Or maybe you're in a place where you're trying to discern what is right and wrong, what is true and false. And you just wish that there would be some sign that would fall from heaven, a tablet of stone that would say, here is the answer to your spiritual question. We want to have this sense of clarity that Christ has in these life moments of decision, of discernment, of purpose and meaning, of of even just our hunger to hear God more clearly in our prayer life. This is what the season of Lent is all about. And it's at this time of year, every year, I hear more and more people asking those types of questions. How do I know which career path to take is God's choice? How do I know if this decision is right or am I going to stumble into some unknowing, unwilling, sinful act? How, How can I hear God's voice more clearly. People are thinking about Jesus this time of year. They're thinking about new life. It is spring. Literally, the whole of creation is beginning anew, isn't it? And there's something, I think, almost primal in us as human beings that when the flowers begin to bloom, we think about new possibilities. And and we're faced with the challenge of how do we know what God wants us to do? And how do we get to this point in our life where we're like Jesus, where we're so 
righteous in our lifestyle? How do we get to this moment where we just do what's right? Or do we ever get to that moment? And when people begin talking to me about this, you know, pastor, I'm trying to make a decision. I'm trying to discern if this is right or wrong. Pastor, I want to grow closer to the Lord. Pastor, I want to do something big for God. I want to start a new ministry. I want to be the director of this or that. When they begin to talk to me that way, I think about bread. Bread, making bread specifically. This is a very important subject in Germany, yes? Bread. <laughs> I went to the torture museum in Rodenburg, and it's a medieval torture museum that talks about all of these forms of crime and punishment in medieval times and in the Middle Ages. And you know, I noticed that there was an entire section of punishments for people who made bad bread. <laughs> bread is important. And my father, many years ago, he taught me how to make bread. I, I love to cook. I don't bake. I'm not a baker, and you bake bread. But so many meals seem to fall flat without good bread. And so I asked my dad, teach me how to, what's the quickest, simplest bread recipe? And so he said, I'll teach you. And he taught me simple yeast rolls. And I immediately got very very impatient because there is nothing simple or quick about making yeast rolls. They, they have these little organisms that are alive and at work. And he had me mixing sugar and live yeast and mixing that with some warm water. And then you, you wait and you watch it bubble. Now what? Okay, now we're mixing this flour and this and that and a little bit of dehydrated milk and, and now we're going to mix all that together. Okay, now we put it in the oven. Yes, Dad? No. No, you put it aside and you, you wait. And you watch it. You check it. And you let it get warm and it starts to grow. Oh, it's as big as the entire bowl now. It's time to put it in the oven, right, Dad? No. Now you divide it, and you work it, and you stretch it, and now you take these two blobs that were one, now they're two, and you, you let them sit. <laughs> and again, you wait. And now, is it time? No, now you need to make these individual rolls. And the whole process that I assume would take maybe 10 minutes has taken half a day and into the night for quick, easy bread. Friends, nothing worth doing is quick and easy. No journey worth taking is short and simple. And so we cannot really, in good faith, jump into verses 14 and 15 and see Jesus with this sudden clarity and on his way in his ministry because we first have to say, why has he taken so long? Back up with me to verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So there were, a certain, there were certain essentials that needed to take place. First, John must come. We've heard about that already in chapter 1, that in the beginning of the good news 
of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you to prepare the way of the Lord. That's John. And now John is out there in the wilderness baptizing people. And so in verse 9, Jesus comes to be baptized. But there's more preparation And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. This is this symbolic Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus. And a voice from heaven. This is also crucial to the preparation. You are my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased the affirmation voice of the Father. So now, do we put the bread in the oven? No, not yet. As Kim read at the beginning of worship, there was another season of preparation. Verse 12 tells us, and the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. The wilderness is a dangerous place, a lawless place an uncertain place. It is an unstable place. There's no guarantee of food or water or shelter or protection. And Jesus is going out into this wilderness. It's a desert wilderness where he is. But it's a scary place. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. We heard about that already from Matthew's gospel in detail. And he was with wild beasts, and the angels waited upon him. So before Jesus steps onto the scene of history and begins to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, before he comes forward proclaiming the time is now and fulfilled, there are these processes of preparation, of kneading the bread, of dividing things, of preparing things, of letting things come to life, and there is this time of wilderness. Sometimes I have heard people in Bible study ask me, why does Jesus wait so long? He's 30 years old. What's he been doing for the last 29 years? Messiah, come on. We know very little beyond his birth. We've got that one story about Jesus in the temple correcting those who are meant to be wise. But what else was he doing? So it's not an unfair question. Why has he waited until now? But some might even go further and ask, why has God waited until first century A.D. to send the Messiah? This season of preparation and getting ready for this moment for Jesus to say, repent, It goes way beyond Bethlehem. It goes way beyond Moses. Way beyond Abraham. My friends, even long before Adam was, Christ is preparing. I love these scenes in movies, action movies. Anybody like action movies? All the guys, (laughs) some of the girls, if you're honest. I love this scene in action movies when there's been a call for help 
for the hero to come and save the day. And at the last moment, when it seems almost too late, the door is burst open and the hero comes in to save the day. And they often have this line. It's a universal line. I came as soon as I could. It's that sense of urgency. I came as soon as I could. However, God in this moment of Christ breaks through the doors of history, kicks them down, and says to us as the hero, I came as soon as I should. And there's some mystery in that. There's some mystery in that. But it also makes a lot of sense historically. And we could get into an hours of discussion about all of the pieces of history that needed to come together, knit intricately like some perfectly woven scarf, all coming together throughout time and space and eternity for this one moment. He didn't come as soon as he could. He came as soon as he should for the right time, for the right moment. I am reminded of the words that were spoken to Esther for such a time as this. This was the moment. But it all requires preparation. And I want, friends, for you to think specifically about the wilderness, those 40 days of preparation. They they become very powerful and meaningful for us today as modern disciples. And you may think, how? (laughs) How? What does this have to do with me? Well, first of all, this idea of 40 days in the wilderness is not new to Jesus. We can go as far back as the 40 years in the wilderness where Israel wandered in the wilderness. And yes, part of that was a wilderness forced upon them because of their sinfulness. But in that season, think about what happens. For 40 years... They wander before they can ever enter the Holy Land, before they get to come in to the land of milk and honey, to the promised prophetic world of the, the, the promised new Zion, Jerusalem. They wander in the desert, and what happens to them? They're given the commandments. They're taught about the temple. They're told how to worship. They're told how to live together in peace. They're given laws to give their lives order and meaning. They're taught how to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. They're taught how to be the promised people. They cannot enter the promised land without those 40 years of wilderness. Sometimes the wilderness is forced upon us like that, but sometimes we choose the wilderness. Sometimes the wilderness chooses us. Sometimes we choose it. Think about Daniel in the book of Daniel. Before he could receive the great vision from God, before he could make sense of it and receive it all, we're told that Daniel went out and in solitude and in silence. He fasted, just as Christ would later in history. He fasted and he prayed And he listened. And it was only through that wilderness moment that he received the clarity he was looking for. The answer 
that he had prayed for. The purpose and direction were made clear. And now jump even past Jesus and we see time and time again people like Peter and Paul proclaiming a season of wilderness. Before you go on that great journey, before you make that big decision, before you decide if it's right or wrong, they are prescribing for us a wilderness moment of solitude and prayer and fasting and listening and reflecting on the word and more silence and more listening. The wilderness is a scary place. We don't like silence. We don't feel comfortable in that dangerous space of not knowing. We want to jump from not knowing to knowing. It's just the product of our world. I mean, if I don't know an answer to something, if someone says, who was the fourth president of the United States, and I can't remember, what do I do? Hey, Google? Don't do it this time. (laughs) Hey Siri, Alexa, and we know. I grew up in a time, and some of you people who have hair like me or knees like mine, you know that when you didn't know something, you just didn't know it. You'd have to go to a secret place called the library, and you'd have to go through a card system and find answers in real books. I think there is that spirit that's lost on us, even those who remember it, of really seeking, of really searching. I I was told by a friend that he was going through this challenging moment in his life where he was pretty sure he needed to make a career change. Many of you went through that during COVID, did you not? Maybe you're in that place now. And he sought the advice of his pastor. And I love this pastor. He told the pastor, I want to know which direction I should be going. What's the best decision? Can we talk it through? And what he was hoping for was like a life coach type situation. And he would have a great one hour session with his pastor and he'd walk away knowing. And so he came into his pastor's study and they sat down together. And the pastor said, let's just pray. And they sat in silence. And they sat in more silence. And they sat in a little more silence. And the impatient friend of mine said, "Uh, Pastor, can we talk this through? I'm really hoping to have some answers. And the wise pastor lovingly said, let's just be quiet. For the word says, be still and know. And until we are still, how will we know? Let us sit and listen. And they sat, and they sat. And at the end of about an hour, the pastor says, Amen, let's do this the same time tomorrow. And while you're doing this, I encourage you also to fast. Just give up lunch for the next few days. And in that time, also pray and reflect. And so they did this day one, day two, on and on, until finally when they got to the moment where the pastor says, okay, let's discuss the options, the man just smiled and said, pastor, I already know. We don't want to go into the wilderness 
But sometimes the wilderness chooses us. It calls to us. It says to us, things don't need to happen so quickly. Slow, slow down. I'm reminded of the story. I've shared it many times. It just always seems to fit from Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, where he shares about a moment where they were getting ready for a major ministry of outreach and things were rushing behind. Everyone was late and they were already late for their their time slot and for their planned scheduled outreach. And someone says, guys, let's just get the stuff. We don't have time to pray today. Let's just go. And Henry Blackaby says, whoa, (laughs) we don't have time not to pray. It's a reversal of what seems like wisdom to just take a moment of wilderness. I can think of two times in my life where I've experienced wilderness in two very different ways. It's not always about going out into the woods, but sometimes it is. I can think about the decision to come here to Germany, even before it was decided in my heart that God was leading me to multi-nation. Even before that, there was the question of should I go anywhere? And I can remember just not having any answers. I was very uh, alive and happy in ministry, working at the children's home with abused teenagers in such a fulfilling and meaningful ministry. I also had a small church that was absolutely perfect, no controversy, nobody was needy, everybody was powerfully spiritual and and knew the word of God. It was wonderful, easy. It was easy. As they often say in the movies, too easy. (laughs) And so I just went out into the woods near our house and I sat on the stump of a tree looking out over Lake Waccamaw. It's this massive lake where we used to live and just asking God to show me the way. And I sat there for hours And I knew nothing better. (laughs) And so I did it again the next day and the next day. And after a month of sitting on a stump, staring out into the wilderness, a still, small voice began to speak. And there's more to the story, but it started with the willingness to sit on a stump. Sometimes the wilderness is a, a dry season in our spiritual life. God will intentionally take us into a place where it's not easy to read the word, where it's not easy to worship, where it's not easy to pray. Don't you think that's the situation Jesus was in with the wild beast and the the shortage of food and water? And sometimes we experience that spiritually. And I was at a season in my life several years ago where I felt spiritually dry. Have you ever felt that way? Don't be afraid of it. Sometimes God is about to do something powerful in your life. And here's how I learned this. I remember almost being angry with God. God, how long will I feel this way? Lord, I long for the the joy of worship again. I want to read your word and just have that fervent passion and and excitement. And, And I was reading it, but it just wasn't feeling it. You see, I was addicted to feeling good. And it was at this very moment I was teaching a group of young boys how to make a campfire. 
And they were gathering wood. I sent them out to get wood. And it had just rained, and many of them brought back logs that were soaking wet, full of water. And I said, this is never going to burn. Guys, you've got to learn. The most important thing is if you want to build a fire, you have to have dry wood. And it was almost like God said, Sometimes God gets us to that place where we don't have any strength. We don't have any resources. We don't have any answers. Nothing seems clear. There's no happy feeling. It's not fluffy and cotton candy anymore. He gets us into the wilderness so that when we are completely bare and dry, it is in that moment he can spark the fire that will engulf our lives and we will know our purpose. The season of Lent is such a season. It's a wilderness season. It's a time of fasting, not so that we can change God's mind, but so God can change our mind. It's a season of silence, not so we can tell God what we want or what we need, but so that we might listen to God telling us what we need. The Lent season of wilderness is hard. It is long. It is dry and it is dark. But oh, my friends, on the other side is resurrection. On the other side is a road to resurrection that leads to joy. On the other side is this good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. On the other side of the wilderness is clarity, discernment, hope. And not only that, it is the power to move forward with that purpose. It is the power to act righteously. It is the power to act knowing that God has got your your back, knowing that God is the one equipping you, knowing that God is the one empowering you, knowing that you will not let God down because you are not holding God up. God is the one holding you up. And so I would invite you in the next several weeks to find a way to join in the journey into the wilderness. To be in that place where people like Moses and the Israelites and Daniel and Peter and Paul and Jesus himself were in many times before. A place where we put away all the distractions and the easiness and the quickness of the world And we simply wait. We wait in hope. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, give us the patience we need. Give us the fearlessness we need. And give us the hope we need to take up our staff and walk and wander into the wilderness you have prepared for us. That in that place of wildness and silence and uncertainty, we might be reformed. We might be made into the people you have created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.